Good day and welcome to our final episode of season six where we have focused exclusively on the classics of the moving picture era and I thought it would be quite fitting to end with one of the most significant films in cinema history. So for today's episode I shall be talking about the 1941 drama Citizen Kane. Written, directed and starring Orson Welles but a shout out to Herman J. Mankiewicz who came up with a story and wrote the original draft and also starring Ruth Warwick, Joseph Cotton and Agnes Moorhead. As Rachel and friends say, I mean, have you ever sat through Citizen Kane? To which Joey goes, oh my god, I know. And Rachel responds, but it's like a big deal. Everyone has heard of Citizen Kane, like many people have heard of Psycho or Strangers on a Train, Ben-Hur, Chariots of Fire, Casablanca, Gone of the Wind, and the list of these benchmark movies go on and on. And yet, in spite of being referenced profoundly to contemporary audiences, in total oblivion to them probably, these films are not seen as stimulating or daring, or in fact just not curious enough to make people go see it, despite the sheer weight behind the names of these titles. Now, in about 50 years' times, our kids will be equally oblivious to boring titles such as Forrest Gump, Shawshank Redemption, The Godfather, Platoon. And that's already starting to happen. And even further down the line, at some given point, their grandkids will speak ill of films like Inception or Moonrise Kingdom or maybe even 12 Years a Slave. Quite hard to imagine, right? I could be wrong. We have unlimited access to all movies now, so in theory they are available, they're accessible. We have Apple TV, Netflix, Prime, Sky, we have Hula, HBO, all the sports channels, we have Disney, and that has five hybrid channels of its own featuring movies from all over the world. But even classics from 1920s, the world is literally at our fingertips when it comes to what to watch. It's why we have trouble selecting movies or TV shows these days, because there are simply too many options. But back then... It was quite selective. It was either one or two movies you could see at the cinema back in the 40s. Even recently, only like 10 films would be out in the cinema at one time, with new films coming out every fortnight or so. Now, with COVID-19, I can watch the new Wonder Woman movie. I recently watched Zack Snyder's Justice League, which was four hours long. I can watch movies that were released days ago. We have every movie at our helm. So why is it that we only want to watch certain movies? We tend to avoid films where we don't recognise any of the stars. We actually tend to avoid action films that star women. We tend to avoid films that are foreign or black and white or even before 1980. Why do you think that is? Why is that how everyone is programmed? Why do people are... Why are people just programmed to watch specific films? Now... I can talk about race or sexism in film, but I won't today. I want to talk about people's issues with old films. Is it not exciting enough for you? Are we not using special effects and vibrant colours in movies now? Are we too good to venture back into our history to see how it has come to where it is, how it's evolved throughout the years? It can't be the film or the genre because people watch dramas all the time, so why not watch Citizen Kane? It is black and white, but does that really stop us? Ask yourself honestly, why does watching a black and white film make it less appealing? It's a very tricky answer, but it will stem down to the notion that the films that are black and white will be tedious, they will be boring, it won't be exciting enough, and there is the issue with audiences in this generation today. Assumption that if the film doesn't have Leonardo DiCaprio in it, it won't be good enough, or if the film isn't directed by a specific person like Christopher Nolan or Steven Spielberg, it can't be good, or vice versa. If the film has Matt Damon or Leo in it, then it's worth a watch. If the film is directed by Steven Spielberg or Tarantino, then people should go see it, no questions asked. It's the assumption of what we are familiar with. But remember, a film is not familiar. It is the genre that is familiar. The work may be familiar, but it takes people to have watched it for the first time to actually have built that assumption on that actor or director or general hybrid genre. A lot of people don't watch horror because they don't like scary films. That's a fair comment, but then I ask, 
Is there not scary things happening in dramas or tragedies that happen in biopics like war films, like any Oscar-winning films that are about white real-life men and the tragedy of real life? Um, you know, you could argue those are real horrors. So immediately, because of assumption, we avoid any film that has any indication of a horror movie. And yet, you would be surprised how many of those films to do with horrors are nothing to do with a man with a knife or a ghost. There are actually dramas telling you that something might happen. That's exactly what action movie is. It's a drama where some explosions will happen. Or a fight scene. So when a film says it's a drama, it means it's in between. My point is... We have decided to make a decision based on assumptions and we have become a generation where risk isn't taken enough with movies. You will only watch a film usually if it's A, being heavily advertised, B, someone told you to watch it, and C, because you are familiar with the actor or actors or directors. And yet, with unlimited access, like I mentioned before, we have actually subconsciously narrowed down that unlimited access to just three categories, believe it or not, which is what I just mentioned. And that narrows it down to just 20 That means you're missing out on 75% of movies and TV shows based on assumption. It's like being trapped in a supermarket and only chocolate and only eating chocolate because no one told you you want cereal or fruit or bread because you don't know what it tastes like because you haven't tried. It's like being in a library and only reading Stephen King because you are familiar with it. It's there we take comfort when we want to lose ourselves in a movie because it's contradictory because you're not losing yourself in a movie, which is the sole purpose, the experience of it. Real life is letting go. And when you go to the movies, that's what exactly what you're trying to do is letting go of real life because you have expectations when you go see a movie. You have assumptions already. It's a comfort zone. So are you really letting go? Are you really trying to lose yourself with something that you already know what's going to happen with? That's why people watch rom-coms a lot. And when they know the couple will end up together, it's why we watch action films because no matter how many times the bullet gets fired at our hero, he will survive at the end. But when we delve into the unknown, people get scared and turn a blind eye, which is absolutely fine because you watch movies for different reasons. I found that extraordinary, though, and it requires people to take risks, find those hidden gems and be completely blown away. The beauty of watching a movie is removing all kinds of expectations before the film even starts. You know, a Sylvester Stallone film will have the action and corny one-liners like Arnie films. You know, a Ryan Gosling film will be quirky, funny at times and introduce some sarcasm and have some sex appeal. You'll know that a Meryl Streep film will be worth a watch because she's a fantastic actress who's been nominated like 21 times. And that's okay because she's great to watch. But you've limited the risk because of that acquaintance you have of her. Citizen Kane is known. Assumptions are made about it. And yet if someone asks what the storyline is, I wonder how many can hazard a guess of what it is. Old films shape where we are today, and it's the ignorance of today that these films won't be explored to the extent that they should. Cinemas are not only trying to take a political shift with gender and race, but also with ageism, the ignorance behind this generation. So Citizen Kane, it's a classic, but why is it a classic? What's it about? Well, I'm going to try and dumb it down for you, because all this film is about is a film about a very influential man who is dying. In fact, the film opens up with his dying glass words which is Rosebud, and that becomes the premise of the whole movie. The rest of the film are these reporters, well, reporter, who is trying to find out what Rosebud means by asking people who are once or were close to him. Whilst the film takes us on this journey of his 80-year span, which is squeezed into two hours about Charles Foster Kane, we find out what kind of a man he was, what kind of a man he became, how he was when he was a young man, how he was when he became really big, And this mystery behind this mysterious last word that he spoke. And that is so simple. That is the entire movie. 
The film got a lot of traction when it opened up. It was nominated for nine Oscars, only winning one of them, which was for Best Writing or Original Screenplay, where Orson Welles shared the award with Herman J. Mankiewicz. And that guy is the subject of the film Mank, as some people would call him, starring Gary Oldman, which, coincidentally, has been nominated for ten Oscars. I think it's the film with the most Oscar nominations this year. Um, and it was for the sole reason why they had such a good story, because of what Mank wrote. The Oscar trophy actually went on auction in 2003 in New York, but was removed by the Academy of Motion Pictures and Arts and Science, and they bought it back for $1, because technically they could. The only living heir of Orson Welles, which was Beatrice Welles, was attempted to sell it long ago with other materials of Orson Welles, and was expected to sell all of her, um, his goods for over $300,000. But there you go, and that's where the uh, the Academy of Motion Pictures, Arts and Science stepped in. Personally, I think the Oscar deservedly solely should go should have gone to Herman Mankiewicz. Orson Welles shouldn't have taken anything about that. If you want to know the sort of big story about it, go watch Mank with Gary Oldman. It's really good, and it gives you sort of an insight on Hollywood and how Citizen became Citizen Kane became Citizen Kane. I believe the working copy of the script, 156 pages of it, was sold for $97,000 back in 2007. Orson Welles, a name many know of, mainly for Citizen Kane, was known as one of the great ones, recognisable by his deep voice and was a very interesting character. He's actually one of only six actors to receive a nomination for Best Actor in his opening film, which is quite an achievement. The only Oscar he ever won is the one for this film, and that was shared with someone else, and I think the other person deserved it, so technically speaking, I don't think he really won an Oscar at all. He famously narrated the H.G. Wells, no relation, War of the Worlds, because of his voice, and that was when people thought it was real and thought aliens were invading Earth, and that was very much a very uh, big story at the time, and that sort of gave a bit more traction to Orson Welles' name. But yes, Citizen Kane ranked 97 best film of all time on IMDb. The movie line Rosebud was voted third in Premier Magazine as the 100 greatest line of all time. Voted second greatest film of all time by Entertainment Weekly and selected by the Vatican in the art category of the 45th greatest film of all time. In fact, I don't think it was 45th, I think it was much lower, but of the 45 greatest films, it was in there. Now, despite all the publicity and talk, the film was a box office disaster and it went straight into the RKO vault. It was hated. At the 1941 Academy Awards, every time the film was nominated, which was eight times or mentioned, the crowd would boo. It would be howling at the very mention of Citizen Kane. It was then re-released to the public in the mid-50s, about 10 years later, and it was there that people started to recognise why this film was so important, why it was considered one of the greatest films of all time. In 1941, it was simply ahead of its time. It was received badly because people had no idea what the film was trying to do in terms of the style of it. I think the same about Terence Malick's film, The Tree of Life. I don't know if anyone's seen that. It's got Sean Penn and Brad Pitt. It's a terrific movie, but it did terrible at the box office. People just didn't relate to it. But every time I hear someone talk about Tree of Life, they just say they didn't like the film or they didn't get it. But I honestly think it was simply ahead of its time. Wait until 2050, and I think people will see The Tree of Life in a new light. It's a fantastic film. You should go watch it. Um, but yeah, in Citizen Kane, the film opens with just the title and no other credit, which was quite a rare thing for a film to do back in 1941. Of course, now this is the norm of the Hollywood industry. I think it's very 
obvious that normal movie fan does cherish the film as much as they say Shawshank, but let me tell you a few reasons why this film is simply timeless, why it is considered the greatest American movie ever made. To put it simply, if you ever watched a Scorsese or Tarantino, Spielberg, Kubrick, Christopher Nolan, Catherine Bigelow, Angley, Coppola, even Hitchcock, then the likelihood is that you saw the influence of Citizen Kane. To put it even more simply, Citizen Kane is not a motion picture. It's a two-hour lesson on how to make a movie. It's Film School 101. Orson, Orson Welles' execution was simply ahead of its time. It was absolutely just a futuristic film for a lot of people. It is literally shown at university for the birth of many unheard of techniques at the time. It's an encyclopedia of techniques, the deep focus, the rear projection, the close-up shots that Orson Welles loves to do, overlapping dialogue, which seems common, but before 1941, you wait to turn to you you have to wait your turn to speak in a movie. It's just what someone speaks and then you speak. The reason the film just shined when it was released was it was clear that this film was doing things that other films now could do or wanted to do but no one ever tried to. It's just so vibrant. This film becomes, you know, because this film is vibrant because Orson Welles was learning as he was filming. Like I mentioned before, this film was based on a wealthy man. It's actually meant to be based on William Hurt's instead of acting like a normal biopic. The film actually delved into multiple genres and different vantage points when piecing together the man of Charles Foster Kane. I mean, it's classified as a drama, but it's also a mystery, a comedy, a romance. It really doesn't know what it's trying to be. And when you don't know what it's trying to be, it's best labeled as a drama, like I mentioned earlier. I mean, the opening shot is a very horrific, personified movie. It's, it's basically a horror genre with all the iconography. It's the castle and the breaths of his dying word. But just like after that, after the two minutes, we sway away from that genre and go somewhere else. We go to this massive newsreel which sums up who Charles Foster Kane was. Another thing that hadn't been done before, a montage and one of this magnitude as well. The film doesn't hold any rules, but it simply tries to hold on to one thing that is true, to tell the story in the best possible way, by trying to tell the audience who this Charles Foster Kane guy really was. So from the first 20 minutes, we go from horror to documentary, and then we start looking into his childhood, and then that goes into some kind of newsroom comedy show when he is working in his youth. The film's various genres is merely a backdrop to the mind of the detective who is trying to figure out what Rosebud means. And the film takes on such a massive journey that at the end of it, you can't help but think you are related to this guy, which makes the meaning of Rosebud quite expressive when you find out what it means, which I won't spoil for you. Just watch the film yourself, but it is truly a massive journey you go on. Now, if you look back to those directors i mentioned earlier scorsese hitchcock tarantino i was talking about how they drew inspirations from orson well and it's clear as day i mean orson wells was just 25 years old when this film came out 25 years old he was a kid with a lot of big ideas and a big playground to play around with now damon chazelle is the youngest ever director to win best oscar and he was 34 he did um he actually recently won it he um won it for la la land and he only directed uh whiplash before that um then he did first man which which was, I thought was a fantastic film. But it gives you an idea of how young he was and what he was trying to do. So I think it, it wouldn't have worked if it was an experienced director because they would have gone on routine. But this guy, Orson Welles, was 25 and trying on new things, which was amazing. You remember that massive party scene in Wolf of Wall Street when the office is invaded by a marching band and just a mess of a party and celebration is basically a recreate. You know, that whole scene is basically a recreating of the scene in Citizen Kane when, when, when he throws a party for his newspaper staff. It 
it was bonkers. You see these kind of references in movies all the time. When I went to see Wolf of Wall Street, I said, oh, my God, that's the exact, you know, that's exactly like Citizen Kane. And my friend was just like, what? Are you joking? I'm like, no, no, I'm joking. I'm, I'm serious. And this is, you know, the, Martin Scorsese clearly had the influence to do a film like that because of um, or do that technique because of what he saw in um Citizen Kane or how Orson Welles did it in all of his films there is no other director in their mid-20s who would be able to come up with this new idea to reshape Hollywood in the way it was and of course the script or screenplay was a touch of genius by Mank it introduced people speaking over each other it included sarcastic one lines it was funny it was dramatic it got serious it got scary it had everything and you really walked away knowing this guy and what rosebud was and meant to him not just the line rosebud but you're fired and also the famous old age it's the only disease mr thompson that you don't look forward to being cured of i mean it's just a classic line and it's so well written orson wells though was relentless with the making of this film orson wells was not in a good shape at the beginning of production when principal photography began orson wells was suffering from the effects of caffeine poisoning as a result of consuming over 30 to 40 cups of coffee a day now i drink three to four and i i get a quite a good buzz of it but 30 to 40 cups oh my word and Wells, you know, he, he, I think after the movie, he just switched to tea, figuring out that the hassle of having to brew the beverage would naturally limit his intake, which is quite a clever way of thinking about it. But Wells had someone on call to brew the tea for him. And within two weeks, Wells was the color of a tannic acid. It was also reported that he would go on long periods without eating, then put away two or three large steaks on the side of him. And he sat and he ate it in one sitting. He ate three steaks in one sitting. He was just quite erratic. He also chipped his ankle bone halfway through production and he had to direct for two weeks in a wheelchair, which is um, not much. You know, people have done that before, but, you know, it's just uh, 1940s. I mean, yeah, that's quite ridiculous and radical. When he was called upon to stand up on screen, he wore metal braces. The injury occurred in the scene where Kane chases uh, Getty down the stairs and then Will, Will, Will trips over. That's actually a real injury and it's left in the movie as well. I think with the mitts of what's going on with the royal scandal with prince harry and meg and also just the royal family in general more specifically that of prince philip someone who is close to the end of their life what this message is trying to say in this movie in citizen kane it's very hard to judge a person or a person's life by what you read in the newspaper or on tv that's four percent of their life caught on camera a man or women's life isn't determined by what you see but of course by the experience that person chose to live it in now yes donald trump we all know the man but who is the man when he is not in a limelight what did he do what didn't he do what does he claim he didn't do or say he did what does everyone do when he isn't looking it just comes down to interpretation and it's difficult to sum up someone's life um, in a movie, especially in two, in two hours. But that's what Citizen Kane did, and it did it so well. The film, simply put, represents simplicity beyond anything else. Love and the idea of enjoying your life rather than working for most of it and then for a few months at the end trying to think, relive it. It was the first to do a lot of things, and that's why it's ignorant to not even attempt to revisit the film that basically introduced how to make a film. But anyways, look, that's all I have time for with Citizen Kane, and that's the whole of season six done. I hope you, some of you have listened to some of these films and have gone out and looked at these films and explored, wow, these are really awesome films, or I've seen the film now, so I get the pop cultural references in modern day films. But hopefully with the curiosity, uh, people will attempt it. I hope some of you have listened to this with a curiosity to athletes attempt it, but, you know, it's worth watching the whole film just to know what Rosebud means right at the end of the movie, and it's such a great scene as well. 
Googling it will not do you justice like all movies. It's about the experience, so please refrain from doing it. But you may already have heard of what Rosebud means, just like how you know that Bruce Willis is dead before you've even seen The Sixth Sense. But anyways, please subscribe to me on Google, Spotify, and I'm on iTunes too. You can also follow me on Instagram, Film Exploration AH, or lowercase or one word. And once again, thank you for listening to Film Exploration with Ash Hurry.